Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, Vendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. It's not like we have, like, special permits to break the law and do 95 somewhere, you know? We're not county sheriffs. <laughs> That's sort of a jab. But anyway... What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our adventures and our wanderings and our wanderings. How are you guys doing this week? It has been wild over here, but you've all come to expect that, and I talk about it all the time, so I will not belabor the point. Um, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. We got a lot of stuff that um I'm actually really excited to talk about this week. This episode kind of fell into my lap. Um about eight or nine days ago. And given that I am a very, very busy person here lately, and I'm in the midst of finals, etc., etc., um, we're going to talk about this because it is a fresh experience. I mean, hot off the press. And it is a personal experience, so I shall be able to do this without much of an outline whatsoever, even though I did print out the after-action report that I made so that I could remember all the little details in case I needed to. Before we get to that, some standard housekeeping. You guys, if you have not already like rated and reviewed, please take the time to go to the podcast player of your choice wherever you're listening to us. And if you would, be so kind as to rate and review and also subscribe so you always get the freshest drops when they come out. But those rating and reviews mean a lot. I've beat you to death with that. You are the dead horses and I continue to beat you, but that would be awesome if you get the opportunity and continue to share the podcast. You guys have been doing great about that. We've been seeing our numbers grow um, and that's awesome. I love it. Actually, we're going to go right into just a few little things I wanted to cover before we really get started tonight. And that's a good point or a good segue into something I didn't say in the last episode about riding the rails through the Ozark Mountains, which was a cool episode. If you didn't listen, you need to go back and listen. Um, and I was like so pressed for time when I made that episode. I forgot something that I really, really wanted to um, mention on the show, which was I actually met a listener of the show when I was on that train ride who like recognized me from the show. That's the first time that ever happened. I was, and since then it's happened once more actually, but that was the first time. And I was like, it was so trippy. It was so trippy. And I will not say your name. Um, I will respect your anonymity, your privacy as it were. But if you're out there still listening, it was really cool to meet you. I'm really glad that you said something. I'm pretty sure she didn't recognize me or my voice, but I think she recognized because on my bag, I have like these little Velcro um, name badges just say Wayward Stories Podcast on my man purse that I carry around when I do those little articles or whatever. And I think that's how she recognized me. But anyway, we talked to her and her partner there for a few minutes, and that was really, really cool. That was really, really cool for me. And on that subject of people who listen to the show, Crystal D out there, who always listens and always has comments um, on the YouTube videos, and also she's always sending me Facebook messages with all these cool little happenings that are going on that are all related to things that I'm into or things about the show. She's also a search and rescue person. Um, just by the way, Crystal, I always read those messages, and I usually try to like, you know, like heart them or whatever you do in messenger so that you know that I'm reading them. But time being what it is, oftentimes I don't respond, but I read all of them 
And some of them are absolutely fascinating. And I have ideas boiling in the back of my head for some of those as episode ideas. So just so you know, I am paying attention. Um, But she suggested I do an episode on rails to trails, which I recently, you know, was talking about in that that riding the rails episode. And so that's going to come up here sometime pretty soon. I was actually probably going to make it this week until um, we had this little rescue that happened last week. So, you know, I'm going to kind of strike while the iron's hot. But I have taken note and I am taking notes and we're going to put together a rails to trails episode that'll be coming up here pretty soon. Um, one last listener mention SJ down there in Tejas, just so you know, I read your email. I have not responded because I have not had time to properly respond to that. Um, I mean, I read every last bit of it, but there's some things you talked about in there that touch really deep and close to home for me. And I really, really want to talk with you about. So don't think because I haven't responded. I know it's been a couple of weeks. It's been crazy times and I feel really bad about it. But just so you know, I read it and I am going to respond to it. I just want to have the chance to respond to it properly because it's a lot to cover. And anyway, I really appreciate you staying in touch like that. Um, and any other rest of you out there, if you ever want to send an email, email mywaywardstory at gmail.com, please do. Guys, one of the best aspects of this for me is the friends that I get to make from all over the country, all over the world. And I love staying in touch. Like, you'd be amazed. I've made actual, literal people that I consider friends um, that I've never met in person. Just from them sending an email and us staying and talking and staying in touch. And that's super cool. So SJ, I will get back to you. Swear to goodness, I'll get back to you. And I did read it. It's just been crazy times. Anyway, let's get on with tonight's show. So if you read episode titles, as I'm sure you all do before you start the podcast, we're going to talk about a little bit of search rescue situation we had here recently. Um, we've done several episodes in the past on search and rescue, and they are like by far and away the best performing episodes that we do. People, as it turns out, and, and some people have written in and said, you know, to said as much, they really like hearing kind of like the behind, behind the scenes, the peek behind the curtain, like, because a lot of people don't have any clue what goes on. When you go and do a rescue, do a search, do any of that stuff. And also there's a lot of shop in there that will actually help you out. If you are an avid outdoorsman, like there's a lot of things you can glean from listening to other people say mistakes or things that happen to other people or how search and rescue functions to try to help you if something goes south. And so I've had a lot of really positive response. So anytime I get the chance to do a search and rescue episode and it doesn't have to be like forced or contrived. I'm all about putting it into the show because search and rescue is not only relevant to outdoors activities in so many ways, it's also a huge part of my story. Because when all my crappy crap happened, like when my divorce and my whole world got rocked and my entire paradigm was shattered and shifted to this entirely new direction, this person I've begun to rebuild myself into and the direction I've started to travel... Search and rescue was the only thing that made it through that. I had a million interests. I'm a broad interested person. I had a million things that were hobbies, that were interests, that were passions before that happened. And at that moment, it was like, it was kind of like a sieve. Nothing made it through except search and rescue. It's the only thing that retained my interest and my passion. And I think it's because it's a very genuine thing for me. 
many of the other things were, you know, I learned a lot about myself and that kind of stuff when all that went down, what I really cared about, what I really didn't, what really mattered. And this is one of those things that really mattered. It fascinates me on a million levels because it's problem solving at the highest levels. It is functional knowledge, knowing how to do things. It, it the, the problem solving aspect I love. I'm a very much a fix it guy. I like tools. And I think my favorite tool that I've ever owned is my brain. Like it's the lightest, it's the easiest to carry around and you can do the most with it. Like I love solving problems and that is usually search and rescue at the highest level is we need to solve this problem. Here's a big old problem. We need to figure it out. And those problems get really complicated, y'all. Like you start involving lots of people, lots of agencies, lots of interagency um, communication, cooperation. It gets pretty functionally challenging. And I hesitate to say I enjoy it, but I do enjoy it. We all enjoy it, right? But it sucks that someone's out there hurting. Like we don't enjoy it. We don't want people to get hurt so we can go do this thing we love so much, obviously. But it can be a very enjoyable thing to participate in. It can be something that's very meaningful. That might even be a better word. It has a lot of value. It's very meaningful. And so it like carried over into this new life of mine and where I've kind of been rerouting myself. And so it fits right into Wayward Stories. The whole point of this podcast to begin with was to kind of tell my story and hopefully inspire some people to get off their duffs and go live some life, right? Get out, find your real passion, what's really deep in your heart, and go chase that before you die. Because as far as we know, we only get one shot at this, right? The clock's ticking. So get out there and live. That's kind of the whole idea. Um, and so Search and Rescue really is a perfect addition to any episode of any show that we do here at Wayward Stories because it's an integral part of my story and it is right on brand. It's right on brand. Get out there and live. Get out there and help people. Like, what do I say at the end of every episode? You guys be good to each other. This is one of the ways I like to be good to people as best as I can help. As long as I'm physically capable and mentally capable of doing something and affecting a positive outcome for someone, sign me up. I'm on board, right? So anyway, we're going to talk about a rescue, an actual rescue. There was no searching involved in this one. This was a straight up rescue that occurred not the most recent Sunday, the one two days ago as you're listening to this on Tuesday night or whenever you pick it up, but the one the week before. And um, it was it was a it was kind of an anomaly in a way that we actually knew exactly where they were. You know, a lot of times we're actually doing search. And then a rescue might get involved once we find them. This was straight up from the jump. We knew where they were. We knew what was going on. We knew exactly what the problem was. And I think that has a lot to do with how smoothly this went. Because this thing ran like a well-oiled machine. And it was a thing of beauty to watch unfold and be a part of. And man, man, this is what it's all about. This is about supposed to go down. So, it's last Sunday night. Somewhere around 1900 hours, 7 o'clock. We get a message, you know, an all call kind of thing that goes out. It's like, we have a rescue ASAP, da, 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 da. you know, location, circumstance to a certain degree, etc. You know, number one, that's a little bit out of the ordinary. Usually we get those messages and it says, stand by, stand by, because they'll give a little bit of a heads up like, hey, something's going on. Or we think it's possible. We may get activated, et cetera, et cetera. So people like get their crap together and they tell people, hey, I'm going to go do this because I'm available, whatever. But this was like ASAP. Let's get busy. 
we got a thing to go do, right? So I, circumstances as they were, I was actually way closer to go direct. You know, usually we're going to meet at the EOC. We're going to load up whatever gear we either possibly need, grab the vehicles that we need, or um, take what we actually know that we need, which in this case, we knew exactly what we needed, right? So anyway, I was like, the situation was such that I was way closer to go direct. Had I gone the other way, they would have been waiting on me. It, it was a thing. It was just way quicker that I go direct. And see, sometimes that actually can work out in your favor because we've got all these people going to converge on the EOC, grab the proper equipment, get everything wired up and get out and get going towards the location. But on the occurrences where somebody's going to like beat everyone else there because they just there's no reason for them to come all the way back to the EOC. They just need to go direct. It can actually serve a very functional purpose. And it worked out really well on this night just like that. So I go inbound, get ready, go right going straight to and I showed up approximately what was it 1944 something like 744 745 and the other guys coming from the EOC they were about 25 ish behind you know bringing up the equipment so I was able to arrive on scene find the staging area the incident command and go straight to the guys and say tell me what's up you know like here we're showing up we're bringing we're showing this many guys we have this equipment What's the situation? What's the scenario? The scenario was, and I met there and it was a park officer and a few guys from District 3 Fire, and that's all I know of that was on scene at the time. And so I met with the park officer. It was at um, one of the local state parks up one of the hiking trails, up actually up the Ozark Highlands Trail. I don't want to give away too much information because I don't think this is ever going to delve into like HIPAA area. But, you know, for the sake of humans and anonymity or whatever, I'm going to try to give too much information. But it was in one of the local state parks and it was way up the Ozark Highlands Trail. I say way up. It was about three kilometers up the trail from the closest access point by a vehicle. So there's going to be a lot of hiking involved, right? But there were two hikers up the trail, backside of the lake, and one of them had broken her ankle. At least they assumed she had broken her ankle. And I will tell you, once we had arrived on scene, anyway, we'll talk about that later, but she couldn't walk. She couldn't walk, broken ankle, sprained ankle, something seriously with her ankle. She couldn't even put weight on it. And it actually was a chilly night that night. We finally had falls start to set in. Now, these two ladies, they were experienced hikers. As I came to find out, they knew their way around. It was really impressive, actually. And we'll get to that when we come to that. But they were on trail with a broken ankle, disabled ankle, one way or another, and we needed to figure out how to extract them. That was the situation. They had their exact location um, because they were on a cell phone. Like they had cell phone service. They called the park office. Like, y'all, first things first. You ever have a problem out there? Do go directly to your phone first. Even if you're way back in the wilderness, you'd be surprised where service is actually reaching these days. Where towers are going up. Start with your phone first and foremost. And they had, you know, direct contact with the park officer like immediately, which is how we knew exactly what they needed and what the situation was, which again, helped this to go a whole lot more smoothly. But anyway, so they show me on the map, we pull out the map and they show me on the map. This is where they are. We know she can't walk. We know she can't get out. We're trying to access with UTVs and ATVs, but we don't know that that's possible. There are two district three fire guys on foot walking the trail now 
to get to them to try to help with like, I don't know, painkillers, anything, try to stabilize an ankle, whatever, but get to them, make contact and um, kind of help them out while they wait on us to come with the equipment to properly extract. And this is why we were called, we're coming from out of county, is because we have a mule and this mule, one of like the coolest things ever. Okay. So a lot of you people, you, you won't know what this is maybe by name, but you'll know that you've seen one when I describe it, but we call them a Stokes basket. There's any number of things you can call them, but they're literally just like a rescue basket. Like they usually hang below. You might see them famously where you might've seen one. It's like hanging below a helicopter with somebody in it. You know, it's a carryable patient transport port. And there is that very famous video actually of that patient spinning out of control beneath an, uh, I think it was a National Guard helicopter rescuing them. And what had happened is they lost the tether. If you lose the tether and you're under a helicopter in one of those baskets hanging by a single wire, you're going to spin in circles. And that's what happened. That video went super viral for, I don't know, a while, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. That person was in essentially a Stokes basket. So you know what one is, even if you don't know it by name, but we have Stokes basket. Stokes baskets, like they are incredibly useful for packaging a patient and carrying them out. But they're also very hard to carry people out. Cause I don't know if you've ever had, you know, between a hundred and 200 pounds plus of dead weight on like a big board and tried to carry it anywhere. It's not the easiest thing ever. Stokes baskets make that a little easier cause they have basically these metal handles all the way around, which are multifunction. For one thing, they're multifunction. Like we can carry there. So you can have like up to eight people on those or shoot, maybe not 10. You can have four on the sides, one on the end, one on the back. Usually it fits better. Three on the sides, three on the other side, one on the front and back. You have eight people. So that's eight people supporting the weight. That helps a lot. Um, and also you can strap the patients down to secure them. Say they've got a neck injury. Say they've got a back injury. You can use different kinds of straps and systems to actually kind of secure them into place in those baskets and make it a lot easier to transport them. But they're still wonky. They're still heavy and it still sucks to carry people in them. Like I know, for example, just on our, just when I did my SARTEC 2 training a long time ago, three, four years ago now, I just had to re-up it as a matter of fact. So it's been just a little over three years ago. One of the things, like a couple of things you do in SARTEC 2 when you're going and challenging for your two is you have to do a night search and then you have to stay in the woods, stay the night out there, you know? Um, at least you used to have to. I don't know if that's still the case. A lot's changed in NASAR stuff. But anyway, you, know, you have to go out there, you have to find a person and you're supposed to like start your own fire, stay the night, you know, super actually fun stuff, right? One of the things that just speaks to my soul about search and rescue. Um, but you have to find person. So we did our night search. We found our person. I've told that story before, actually, um, some time back, probably over a year ago now. But when you're carrying that dead weight dummy out of there and like, and I, it was actually an actual dummy. I'm not saying that about somebody in search and rescue that was a volunteer. It was a real dummy. Um, it is brutal y'all. Like you're going up the side of a mountain, right? There might be some trail. There might not be some trail. It depends on where they're at, where you got to take them, where you got to get them. And like eight people coordinating a Stokes basket when you're over rocky terrain on a, you know, God, I don't know, 20 degree, 30 degree incline. You're, it can get pretty hairy. Okay. Enter the mule and the mule is like basically this, this awesome little contraption 
that you kind of fold out, lock into place, and it's got a giant tire right in the middle, right? A tire's like, do you guys remember those big red three-wheelers? Y'all, any of you guys old enough to have been around in the 80s and 90s, you know, probably 70s, 80s, and 90s, will remember the Honda big red three-wheelers, and they had big, fat tires, and they were literally death machines. Not that unlike motorcycles, known as donor sleds in the proper circles. Um, but yeah, these big red three, they had this huge fat tire and that's what made them so dangerous is they would start bouncing because those tires were so fat and had so much air in them and people lose control. There wasn't even four wheels, right? It was easy to flip those things. Um, but it's like one of those tires, it's like an off-road vehicle. It's like an off-road tire and it sets right in the middle. So it's kind of like a wheelbarrow for a human, but it's for a Stokes basket. So while you may still have the same number of people around that Stokes basket, there is something supporting a lot of the weight that you can roll across some of this brutal terrain and everyone can like move around if they need to, if they need to go single file because a trail's gotten super narrow, you can actually let the people drop off the sides and just the front and the back can guide them through the narrow spots. You just have to slow down and be more careful and be mindful. You don't have side support you're doing all the supporting from side to side and forward and backwards, right? But that wheel helps a lot. We just got one, like last year. That's why we showed. I mean, I think that's why we were called primarily is because we had the mule. Also, we're like really good at what we do. And we usually get called for anything that's going on locally. But like that night, we were on because we had the piece of equipment that we needed to get the job done, right? So anyway, I show up get all of this information, right? Your information gathering. As soon as you get there, give me their location. Let me mark it on my maps. Let me download a map offline so that I can have a map on my phone, but also I can have a paper map, whatever. But those, those offline maps that are still in, you know, functional because your satellites are pinging your phones, right? Your phone will ping the satellite, even if you don't have cell phone service. So if you download the map offline and for all of you people that use like an all trails or anything like that, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, you know how it works, but we use Cal Topo or SAR Topo, but you can still know where you're at because you can still have the map on your screen and you can see your location and you can actually put in their coordinates and it, it makes the world so much easier, makes it a lot easier, but I'm getting this information and coordinating with them. We had a plan before our guys even made it into the park, right? And that plan was really simple. We're going to get in touch with them. They're going to go direct to the trailhead that we need to go and access the patient. I'm going to leave this position here and I'm going to go to that trailhead myself. And as soon as they're here, we're putting that mule together, attach the Stokes basket and we're on, we're going. Because even though the other crew was accessing by foot and there were more guys trying to access by mule or ATV. There's no guarantees, right? Like you can't bank on that. I did hear some people talking about like, Hey, we think we can maybe get there with these ATVs, UTVs. So you may want to hold and we'll see if we can do that. And I'm like, well, what's the ETA on? If you can find out if you can do that, because if it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes, why are we not walking into the woods? We came here for a reason, which was to go night hiking, right? It's already dark, right? We came here to do some night hiking. It's a good response exercise. Even if we're not needed, we're going because we're just wasting time. If those ATVs and UTVs do not make access, that's 20 minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes. Who knows? Who knows? You don't know. These are all unknowns. These are unknown variables at the time it's happening. That's all wasted time. 
And that patient is out there, not dying. We knew what was going on with her, but she was in excruciating pain. You have to take that into consideration, guys. You have to consider that these people are actually hurting as well, right? So we need to get there. We need to get there because the sooner we get there, the sooner we can do whatever the heck we need to do to get her the heck out of there. It all makes it faster to the point she's not hurting anymore. That's the biggest key. Right. And in some cases, it might be the point so that the sooner they're not dying anymore. That just wasn't the case in this situation. But we have it put together. The plan is in place. We're going in. UTVs, ATVs going to continue to try to access. The two guys on trail are going to continue to where they're going and they're going to try to help her in any way they can until we can get out there with this piece of equipment. Great plan. So. I go ahead and head down. We reroute our guys. We don't reroute them. Actually, we just inform them, go direct to the trailhead. And this actually worked in our favor too. And it's one of those things where you have continuity of years, like people who've been around a while and have done some things. We've all been on this trail before, this specific trail to this specific spot for other people, right? That was just four years ago now, four to five years ago now, I think. But most of us that were showing that night for our team, we'd been there. We had done this before. So we had a knowledge of the terrain. We had an extra piece of knowledge that came in like literally pivotally handy. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. Um, but we already knew what we were doing. We already knew the trailhead we needed to go to. We already knew that sped up the process that made things a whole lot more expedient. So I leave the incident command I head down to the trailhead. I got to the trailhead about the time our guys were showing up with the mule. And so we go to bring the mule out of the truck and we ran into a little hitch. And I kind of thought about, don't want to talk about this because this was a little snafu. This was a little boo-boo, but that's actually part of the game. That's part of how this stuff goes. These things happen. No idea where it went. It could have been in literally pulling it out of the truck out there in the woods, but there's a very important cotter pin that holds that mule together that was not to be found. Once the mule was out and assembled and ready to go, there was a missing piece, a key missing piece. And it was just this cotter pin. And again, this is the problem solving aspect. We're here for this mule. This mule is going out there. This has to get fixed. It's leaving fast. We're moving quick. How do we fix it? So start looking around for other pieces of metal. There's plenty. We got cars. We've got trucks. We got all kinds of gear. There's a cotter pin or something that is a reasonable facsimile that can be turned into a cotter pin somewhere close by. And so we start looking around. Sure enough, found an actual cotter pin that was retaining another piece of gear. And in those moments, you do what you got to do. We took it detached it from the thing it was on, put it into the wheel and start trying to bend it so that we know it won't come out. This is where I lost one of my best friends, my Leatherman that I've had since 2008, which would make it 15 years old in November. Um, that my mama bought me actually see my mother, my mother knew how to buy me gifts. I've never known anyone on this planet that's known how to buy me gifts. And in the first rule of buying Justin a gift for a birthday or Christmas or something, it's don't. That's the number one rule. Don't. I don't want it. Like, I don't know. I'm weird. I don't want it. I appreciate the thought. I don't want it. Like, but mama bought me stuff. So I let mama buy me stuff. But she also knew how to. 
She didn't buy me like rando crap that she thought I heard one time that I might like and some weird whatever. She got me functional things. She bought me tools. She bought me stuff that would last because I've always been on some level the same dude. And that dude is, I don't want crap. I want crap that works. And I'm not saying I demand these when I get gifts that actually kind of sounded weird. Um, segue there. But no, it's like she just knew me. It's like I don't buy crappy stuff if I can help it. I don't want things that will fail when I need them. I like to have things I need. I'm a very minimalistic and functionally minded kind of person. I just want what I need and I just want it to be solid and trustworthy because if I need it, it better by God work. And those were the best gifts. And mom always knew how to hook me up with those gifts. And this Leatherman literally served that exact function for 15 years. And I've used it almost on the daily for 15 years. All over this country. I used it all the time when I was with Big Purple. When I was still a FedEx, those old trucks were always breaking, y'all. I used that tool almost every day for 15 years. That's the best kind of gift because that was also one of the last things that I had that my mother ever got me or that ever even belonged to her. You know, we were poor people and she was a very poor person. She didn't have a lot to keep. That was one of the only things I had that belonged to her, and especially that she gave to me. I say belonged to her, but was connected to her. And, you know, she's been dead five or six years now. I'd have to go see what year it is. Everything's been a blur the last two years. But um, it was really sad. That was a sad moment, but we lost it. Because as I was trying to bend that cotter pin, it snapped. The freaking, like, I don't even know what you call it, but the plier part that we were using to bend it, one of the teeth snapped smooth off, just the head, just broken half. And it happens. Guess what? Easy come, easy go. It happens. And I can't think of a better way to lose that piece of equipment than in the line of duty, so to speak. You know, greater love hath no tool than to give its life in service of another. I don't know. But I can't think of a better way for that tool to die than to, like, go down doing something that kind of actually mattered in the moment. Um, so anyway, I've got it in and I'll let you know, I'll have to catch you guys up. Like I'll have to let you know, um, it may take a few months, but I'll have to let you know how the Leatherman warranty works out. Like if they hook you up, if they straighten it up, because I actually did claim it warranty claims. Um, and I just sent it in a couple of days ago. So hopefully I'll get a Leatherman to replace it. I don't know. But anyway, we did indeed, even though it broke my Leatherman and that little pin was not the ticket. Something else was found immediately and fashioned, and that was the ticket. And there you go. There's that problem-solving aspect. In the moment, we have a need. Find something that makes this work. Double-check it. Make sure it's sturdy. Make sure it's secure. Make sure it'll do the job. Find a second one if you can in case this one does happen to fail, and let's go get it. And that's exactly what we did. And we started in on that trail at approximately 2028, so 828. Um... And this is where it starts to get way more interesting. Like this was a super interesting and a, it was a great exercise. Like we got the job done. We helped the lady out, but this was a great exercise all the way around. And I can't wait to get into all the details of that, but we're going to do it after the break. Cause we're setting at 32 minutes and it is time to hear from a sponsor. What is up all of you wayward souls. I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics a brand based right here in the good old U.S. of A., Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple of more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone 
gave him a call. And guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland from the top of the chain, have a great conversation. And we end up starting this great relationship. We have They more than made right the little snafu that occurred. And I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people and they're trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material TR 90 and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably new in our hearts. When you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name, not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else like at Ben Daddy Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them. Send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash Optics. And that I highly suggest whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you will ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for hanging around through our sponsor break. And be sure to check out those sponsors. Um, Moving into the rest of the actual rescue, actually. This is the lead up to, this is where it gets a lot more interesting and a lot more fun. Except for everyone, except for the woman who broke her ankle, like, you know, she just, she's hurting. So it's going to hurt for her until we get her out of there, but it does get better for her at the end. Right. And we finally get her to the ambulance, get her in the bus. But so we start in 2028 we had five of us. We showed five responders and then also Crawford County search and rescue, who is doing a freaking bang up job of putting together a crazy capable team in just like two years time after being disbanded for a long time. And when I say bang up, they're, they're impressive. They're impressive. But anyway, they showed up a team of, I think it was five guys as well, but there may have been more, not five guys. I think there was some ladies involved as well, but they showed up five responders or six somewhere in that range. And right as we were starting in, so they piled out and they cabbaged onto us and we started in together. Um, and for the duration of this, actually, I was actually, this ended up being like my deal because I was the first one to show. I had as much experience as anyone else that was showing up. And that's kind of how this works. The first person there with the most amount of either experience or seniority, and usually the two kind of go hand in hand, not always, but sometimes, you know, they're running the show. People have to make decisions you got to be accountable for those decisions, but you got to make decisions. Someone has to, right? And so I was going to be the first one there and I had as much experience as anyone. It was just me and really one other that were showing up that had comparable experience and I was beating everyone there. So it fell to me in my hands. And, um, so I have like really kind of a firsthand account of how this all went down. But we start in together and we reach to, there's a point I'd say about three to 500 meters in and you have to cross the river. Well, the river is dry, so that's good. The river's super rocky. That's bad. Either way, we're dragging this mule through there and 
getting through the river is actually a little bit of pain in the butt. Last time we went a few years ago is a bigger pain in the butt because there's actually some water in it. This time the river was dry. And when we get to the other side of the river, and this is starting from the trailhead for the Ozark Highland Trail, starting across Frog Bayou, whatever. And we reach the other side where the trail is going to exit the river. And we come up to a bunch of the district three guys. And there's a UTV. I believe there was one UTV. I think there was multiple ATVs, two or three. And they kind of start briefing me again on what they've done and what they're attempting to do. And I think we spent probably six to eight minutes there. And they filled me in on they're trying to make access. They're unsure if they can. And they were kind of like, if you don't want to, you know, if you want to wait and let's see if we can do this. And I was kind of like, no, we need to go because if you don't make it, then we're just wasting time. And then another guy was trying to brief me on, we think there's an, an alternate exit, right? To get them out, but we're not sure. And they were trying to show me on our topographic maps. And at the point we finally got the maps in front of me and we're looking and they can't find the road. They think they roughly know where it is. That's when I was like, okay, executive decision, like just, just nix that. We don't know for sure it's there. That's just like a guess. We can't count on that. If when we're hiking in, you find it and we find it and we know for a fact, it'll take us to where we want to go. And you can you know, basically prove that it's going to take us to where we want to go, then we'll reassess that. But like, no, we can't count on that. We're going to do what we know we can do, which is go straight to them, get them on the mule, get them on the stokes, get them out. But in that few minutes there where we were kind of square, you know, squaring away the plan going forward, it dawned on me the last time I was here crossing this river, starting up this trail the way we got out as a team was by boat. We got, and, and you can go listen to that. That is in one of the search and rescue episodes. And I have no idea which one it was. I don't think it was about that specific episode or that specific um, search. Um, but it was in one of the, the episodes, probably the stories, something like that. Um, search and rescue volume, whatever, probably two the stories. It may be in that episode, but we got an extraction by Arkansas Game and Fish, and it was like the coolest night of my life, man. We were out there in that stuff. After a thunderstorm, everything was wet. We were hacking through. That was the night we found the guy nobody knew was missing while we were looking for someone else that we did know was missing. That's I still say that's got to be like a first in human history, but I've never had that confirmed. Um, but that night when we finished our lane, we reached this certain point on the very same trail where a river another river intersects. It's actually a really large Creek intersects going into the lake. And we got to that point, jumped into the river and waded down river, like waist deep and waited on game and fish. And they came across the lake and their little scooter boat. And they loaded us up in the scooter boat and we got a freaking taxi ride across the lake at 60 miles an hour by moonlight. And it was awesome. It was gorgeous. Y'all it's dark sky out there. It's beautiful. You can see more stars and the moon was big that night. And there was like this low valley mist coming through into this valley over the lake. And it was just gorgeous. It was, it was otherworldly. It was a little bit of a otherworldly kind of, uh, kind of experience. It felt like it was super cool. It's very cinematic. I'll say that very cinematic, but I remembered this and I was like, we're literally going to be making contact with the patient at like right at pretty much the same point we extracted last time by boat. And I looked at the, the district three guys and see, we were having comms issues when you're back that far into this stuff. We're on a wins. 
we have trouble getting out because we can't hit the towers that we need to hit necessarily. It gets, comms get really sketchy, okay? Interestingly enough, I had cell phone service, which worked out great. Um, we had several people that had cell phone service. And so like, even though we couldn't get our direct communications straight to IC and straight back between everyone on the team, we had people that did have direct communications and we had people that had cell phones that could contact whoever because some carriers apparently had good service and I happened to be lucky and have one of those phones that had service. So I was like, y'all, can we get a boat? Can we take her out of here by boat? Because like, that'll be way faster for her. It'll be way more comfortable for her than dragging her out over all these rocks with that, that, that mule and the big old wheel. It might have some cushion to it, but y'all, she got a broken ankle. Every jostle is going to hurt. She's not going to have fun coming out of here. There's no other way to do it. And we can make it as comfortable as possible, but there's a limit to that. There is a hard limit to how much you can make someone comfortable without morphine, right? So I was like, can we get a boat? Does the park have a boat? Do you guys have access to a boat? And the one gentleman, which memory fails me. I'm sorry. I don't remember your name. I had to remember like 30 names that night. Um, if you ever listen to this, which I doubt you do, but if you do, sorry, I didn't remember your name, but he said, maybe we can maybe get a boat. I was like, okay, I have cell phone service. Give me your phone number and here, no, here's my phone number. And I got my number in his phone. And I was like, contact, I see we're starting in. We need to start in. We've wasted enough time and we didn't really, but the point is you're in the moment, right? And I'm like, we've wasted enough time. We know what we got to do. We know what we can't do. Let's figure out what we possibly can do. And we're going to execute what we know for a fact we can do. But while we're executing what we know for a fact we can do, let's explore some other avenues, some that would be far more expedient and a lot more comfortable for the patient and actually a lot safer. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to that point. But like one of the, you know, big things we need to consider here is also our own safety. A lot of dudes carrying a lot of weight over a lot of crazy terrain and rocks. Like there's a lot of ankles and a lot of knees and a lot of femurs, you know, and tibias mixed into this mix. It's not always the great mix. Like we need to be safe too. And anything we can do to lessen everyone's liability or mitigate any liability whatsoever, if we can, that's just like icing on the cake. You know, the safer, the better. Become a, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. That's like one of the credos of search and rescue, right? So they're like, okay, well, we're going to check for a boat. And we're like, we're going to start in. And so we start in and it is a trek, y'all. It's a trek. It's three miles. Well, it's three kilometers. So probably two miles, 2.2, 2.3. I don't remember how it converts, but we got a couple of mile hike. We have a three kilometer roughly trek. And you know, it's going to take a minute because we got a bunch of dudes single filing down a trail that is that very first section of the Highland Trail in that area. It gets pretty rough. There's a couple of washes where it's like boulders. There's one that's like, it is boulders. And you got to get across that. And we got to get this mule and the Stokes basket, which is not light. Like it's, it is, but it's not. Across all that and do it safely. We don't need anyone hurt. So we started the trek in. And I don't know, I don't do not have the time in front of me. I don't think I made a note of the time we started in at that point, but it wouldn't have been that long after 2028. It probably would have been 2048 at most. But anyway, we start in and you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like 
when you start in on a trek like that, and especially this one where we knew where we were going and we knew what we were getting into, but it happens on all searches where you end up having to kind of single file trails or maybe even double breadth trails. You just, you try to keep your spirits up. You're hiking. It's the middle of the night. I got to go to work tomorrow. I had homework I needed to do that night. You know, there's a lot of people who'd rather be home with their families or not maybe rather, but they have families to be home with. Um, and don't take that wrong. I mean, we all want to be there to help is what I'm trying to say, but we're all doing something and leaving stuff behind that we probably need to be doing or places we need to be. So you want to keep your spirits up. It's dark. You're tromping through the woods. So lots of, lots of good natured jabs are tossed about lots of jokes, lots of, you know, kind of laughing, especially on a night where it's a known, you have a known quantity. It's an injured person who is going to be okay. You just got to get there. It's not like you're looking for a kid. You know, those get more serious. Absolutely. And there's a lot more of a somber tone that comes along with those. But something like this, or laughing and joking and telling stories and singing songs or whatever, and it makes the time go by. But then it starts to get pretty sketchy. And this is where you have to watch because like with these, these mules or anything, they work best if people are on either side, right? Three guys carrying four guys carrying, whatever. But you reach points. And again, I say carrying, we're rolling it on the wheel, but you have to balance it. You have to carry some of the weight of it. And like, there's a give and a take, there's an ebb and a flow. There's a yin and a yang who would have thought, right? But that's how it works. And so as you're traveling down, you reach these points where the trail gets real narrow. And it's not like the stairway to heaven and freaking Nepal or whatever. It's not like if you go off the side, you're going to fall 3000 feet to your death. It's like, you're going to roll down a very steep hill and it's going to hurt a lot, but you're not going to die, but you could get hurt. You could break something. There's some very steep places in there where the incline is very, very significant and you don't want to go off the side of that hill, right? So you have to go down to single lane. You got to single lane it for a while. And there's like this whole interplay. It's like a little, like a little ballet that happens for a bunch of wonky men and women who are out there just tromping around in the woods and big heavy boots and backpacks and everything else. But it's very, very, um, it's very much like a ballet that just kind of plays out in front of you. But it's really cool when that happens because that means that everyone there knows what they're doing. They've been trained to do this and they've done it before and everyone knows just when to check out get out of the way, step around a tree. Someone else catches the weight, knows that it's about to happen and take steps to like compensate for that. And so it's really is kind of a thing of beauty. And this whole thing so far to me has been a thing of beauty. I'm watching everyone do what they're supposed to do. I'm watching everyone communicate the way they're supposed to communicate. And this is a key. I'm watching a whole bunch of people work together and there's no egos clashing, which sad as it may be happens. It happens. I mean, first responders are notorious for their egos, right? There were no egos happening. Everyone was just doing what they're supposed to do. Everyone was doing their part. And that made this like an absolute pleasure to watch unfold. But we make it down the trail. We get through. And those washes got rough, y'all. Passing that basket through those washes, that's pretty rough. And I'm thinking ahead, right? We got to do this with a human in this basket of unknown weight at this point. And it doesn't really matter what weight it's going to be a lot, you know, just cause it's a human. This could get sketchy for people's like knees and ankles and tibias, whatever. Um, cause you are underweight. If you've ever tried to carry weight 
and you've had to bend your legs in wonky ways to support that weight, it's dangerous, y'all. It puts strain on parts of your knees, parts of your ankles, things like that, that don't usually get strain and maybe aren't supposed to have strain from the angles, the geometry that is going on with them. So you're thinking ahead to that, like that's we're we will have to slow down and do this absolutely systematically. And on top of that, you're thinking about your own safety, but you go to carry the patient over this. Like the worst thing that could possibly happen is someone dropped the patient, right? When you're going over something like this and they just like spill over to the side and whack their noggin or whatever, that can't happen. That absolutely cannot happen. So you think about this is going to be a little bit of a sensitive operation in this particular area for sure. And there are several areas where it's going to be down to two people. There's no doubt one on the front, one on the back. That's the only way we could fit through certain parts of that trail because there's that, again, super steep slope. We're going to have to be really on our P's and Q's when we're coming out of here. Anyway, we finally make it to the trail to roughly the point where we know the patient should be. And one of the district three guys is on the trail, meets us, and he takes us on up and he kind of briefs us. I think he said 200 or 800 milligrams of ibuprofen twice in the last two hours or whatever. Um, and, you know, trying to help mitigate some of that pain. But when we got to the people, this was impressive. They were hiking ladies, y'all. And they were awesome. Clearly, they were very mountain goatish. And they knew what the heck they were doing. They had put up one of their tents, one of their hiking tents. I believe they were through hiking. I don't know if they had just started. I never got this info. I don't know if they had just started or they were just finishing up a big stretch and coming out at this this trailhead on the Highland Trail. Because, I mean, they only had three miles in or they only had three miles to go, one of the two. And I don't know which one the, which is the case. But the one that was still able put up one of their tents, got the injured patient into a tent, bundled up in a sleeping bag because it was getting a bit chilly, especially if you're laying on the cold ground, right? Like she did everything right. She did everything right. So anyway, that, that's impressive. Y'all learn from that. Learn from that. It was impressive. But anyway, we get there. I go up to check, you know, and we open it up. We say, hi, how are you? How's it feeling? What's going on? And I immediately looked for because I knew we had a first responder in our group. Like this thing, search and rescue, it's all volunteer. So you're going to have firefighters in search and rescue. You're going to have county sheriffs in search and rescue. You're going to have people like me that are just search and rescue. And then you're going to have people that might be EMTs, EMS, paramedics that are search and rescue. And I happen to know one of our guys that came with us was absolutely first responder. So I turned around and looked at a sea of faces because we're all piled into this real narrow part of the trail, right? And they put her tent right on the trail. And I'm like, where's my first responders at? Because I know I got at least one in here. And he was already making his way up again because he knew his job. He knew what he was capable of and brought to the table and what he was there to do. And he was always tr already trying to make his way through the group to the front. So he gets up there and we set him on the most logical thing. Again, this is problem solving, guys. It's like you assess the patient. You try to stabilize that ankle and you head up packaging this patient on the Stokes. Like you're the dude. You've got the all the information here. You know how to do it. All of us know how to do big parts of that. But none of us are, you know, not the some of us were first responders, but he was the main guy. But like, I'm not a first responder. I can do what I need to do, but it's going to be slower. It's going to be less efficient. And it's probably going to be not nearly damn as good as someone who's done it a lot, right? So he gets the gig. He sets to 
checking out her ankle first and foremost. But at that point, I'm already like, okay, so what about the boat? Can we do the boat? Like he's working on packaging. How are we getting her out of here? How's extraction going to go? And the guys that had set in to try to access by ATV and UTV, they actually made it about the time we showed up, which is interesting because they were on ATVs and UTVs. That's how hard it was for them to find their way in there because there was no access. And they still were hundreds of, you know, meters, a couple of hundred meters at least away. They couldn't access the patient anyway. So in the end, right call. They finally got within range of her at the same time we got to her and they could not even get to her. So in the end, right call, set in, get in, get started. And it worked out right. Um, but so I'm looking at it and those guys are like, Hey, we do have access to the boat. And I was like, make sure, please confirm, please, please confirm. And so they confirmed we have access to a boat park boat. We can get it over here. Awesome. So now what we need to do. I need a volunteer to go with me and we need to find the most direct path to the water and we need to assess the situation. Can we move the patient in the Stokes basket onto the boat? If we can get the boat, can we get to the boat? Because as it turns out, it hasn't rained since like, I don't know, the Pleistocene here in Arkansas and there's no water anywhere, which you'd think would be great, but it's actually not because that means you've just got a lot of mud to walk through on the lake bottom, right? So we have a whole lot of lake bottom. We have like hundreds of meters before we actually get to water. And that amounts to a whole lot of mud to trudge through and a very shallow body of water to try to transport a patient to. So it's like, how close can that big pontoon boat? Cause that's what we had access to, which is actually perfect for transferring a patient. It turns out, but how how close can that big heavy thing get to us without getting stuck in the mud and then having again, a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. So we set out to assess what we could to start with while they were getting that boat fired up and starting to bring it across the lake. And we set down or set off down the hill while the rest of the team was working on packaging the patient and, you know, stabilizing her, etc. So we find a direct route down the hill. We find the lake bed and we're like, Hey man, that's only a couple of hundred meters through the crap. You know, we've got three kilometers of crap to walk through if we go the other way, right? Well, there's only a couple hundred meters here, but what's the lake bed like? It's flat as flitter. This could be great. So we set off across the lake bed and for the first couple hundred meters, it is great. But then it starts getting muddy and it gets like, you know, starts getting like really sloggy muddy, but it's still solid enough to walk through. This is key. So we make it to the water level, like where the water reaches the shore. And we like look at each other and I'm like, man, it looks good to me what do you think? He's like, let's do it. This looks awesome. So we go back up the hill. They've got the patient packaged. Like those guys were, they were on it. They had the patient packaged on the big, like on the mule, in the stokes, on the mule, strapped down, ready to go. She was having a lot of pain y'all. And I'm telling you, you know, I am not a first responder. I could not do medical. My hat's off to all of you people that do medical because I am not that dude. I ain't the guy. Like, and I've thought about it because it'd be a pretty easy career to transition into. I've done search and rescue. I know all the right people. I could totally get in there. You know, I could go take the classes, do the school. I just don't want to. It's one of the things I'm learning as I get older. I'm getting really good. I'm actually kind of proud of myself. I think it shows maturity. I'm learning how to stay in my lane. Like, even though there's like all these, sometimes you're like, there might be all these reasons that this could work out and be okay. I also know what I wouldn't be happy doing and I know what's not for me. And like, I don't know, 
dealing with people who have gear shifters stuck through their jawbone and horrible accidents is just not for me. Like, thank God there are people that can handle that. And they, they are a special breed. I know plenty of EMS guys these days. They're a special breed and thank God for them. But I'm not of their stock. I am not dyed and cut from the same um, wool as they are. Um, I'm way happier just trying to find people. And when I have to do something medical, I'll do it. I've done a little bit of it. I can handle it when you got to do it. Like you go into a different mindset. There really is a different place you go when you do have to deal with some weirdness, you know, some wonkiness, but I, I can't choose to do that. So thank God for, and hats off to all you guys that do the ugly stuff, but it's not for me, right? I'm just getting better at learning and staying in my lane and not chasing every rabbit that comes into the field in front of me. Um, but those guys were on it. They nailed it. She was ready to go. She had some pain. They were cutting her shoe off. Um, and also we learned things. See, we learned things that, that could go better. When we left, they were using my trauma kit off of my bag. When we went down to check the lake level, right, and check if there was a path, I left my bag with my trauma kit. It's a well-stocked trauma kit for the most part. But they were like, our first responder, Lonnie, he was like, does anyone have a SAM splint? Does anyone have a SAM splint? No one had a SAM splint. There are plenty of ways to splint a foot all around you. Right there in the wilderness. And you can do that. No problem. But a Sam Splint's amazing. Sam Splint's like this long, probably 36 inches long. And this bendable kind of metal contraption that it's very flexible and malleable, but it's rigid as hell. And you can fashion it to freaking broken arm, broken leg, broken ankle, you know, like sprain, whatever, and use it to stabilize. Well, we didn't have one. So I learned a lesson. And guess what? Was in the mail the next afternoon coming to me and is now in my trauma kit. A set of Sam splints. Like, thank God for Amazon Prime days, right? Like, I got 50% off on those dudes. Like a two-pack. But now I have Sam splints. You know, you learn as you go sometimes. And she's fine. Like, they packaged her and, and stabilized her ankle just as pretty as you please. Like, those guys know what they're doing, right? But Sam splint would have been, like, the better alternative and way easier. So now I have Sam splints, you know, on hand in the bag, ready to go. But we left them with that. And when I came back, she was ready to go. Like it was bingo, bango, man. They were rocking. So I'm like, okay, she's good to go. We know we can get to the lake. And then the boat about that time, the boat was showing up and the time it took us to walk back, it's like 600 to 800 meters, or I'd say about 600 meters to the water from the woods. And then a couple hundred meters through the woods, right? Um, so it was a little bit of a walk back, but you have to do, sometimes you have to ground truth stuff. You have to ground truth stuff. Like this sounds great, you know, in theory on paper, but will it work that way? Because there's always curveballs. Like, I don't know, a broken cotter pin that we had to deal with back. Those kind of things happen. Right. So we got to go look, looked good for our end. Well, now the boat's showing up and the boat's going, they don't know if they can get close enough because they're already getting into mud and they feel like they're a long ways from shore. So I'm like, okay, well, let's do this. Everyone here stays put. We're going to go back down there and let's go out and see if we can get out to that boat, see how deep the water is. Because we know the boat's actually hitting mud no matter how far they are from the bank. But we need to know, is there a drop off in between us and the boat? Is it so squishy on the bottom that we can't get this thing out there? And so we go back down. We hustle down. We, you know, take the same path and we assess. We walk out. We wait out to the boat. We get out there. It's like maybe at worst places knee deep. And it turns out that the the lake bottom under the water was more solid than the lake bottom outside of the water for that last, you know, 50 meters to the shore. So we're like, this is golden. We've got this. And we're like, we're a go. You guys stay right here. We're going to be back with the patient. So we started back and we relayed up to the top 
we're going by boat. We're extracting the patient by boat. We've got to clear the path down the hill. So we start back. Lonnie and I get up there and we grab every hand that is not on that Stokes basket. You know, holding up the mule, holding the Stokes basket, not our first responder. Everyone that's not dealing with the patient is with us. And we're like, Lonnie and I are flagging our way straight down the path that we have figured out we need to take to get to the lake bottom and kicking rocks and tripping on, you know, obstacles and branches that could like hit the patient in the face. Like we're starting to clear stuff back, like rough go straight down, flag it. And then everyone behind us is coming down like a horde of locusts, just completely moving everything, breaking down little branches, cleaning back the brush, taking out freaking briars, like anything that could create a tripping hazard or any kind of resistance to getting that Stokes basket down that hill. And again, it was glorious. It was beautiful to watch everyone dive right in and just completely mow down the side of that mountain, except for the big trees and make this giant hole. Like if it was a football analogy, the line just created a hole that you could drive a Mack truck through. And they came straight down that hill, smooth as butter, with the patient. And we were on our way to the boat. And it was awesome. That's how it's supposed to work. And as soon as we're on the lake bottom, this is smooth sailing, guys. She's not bouncing off of huge rocks like the, the Stokes basket and the, the big wheel is not going over these giant rocks and having to go down a trail. We're not having to risk knees. We're not having to risk ankles. We're not having to risk any of the bones in our body. It's just straight and it's smooth sailing until it gets muddy. And then it gets muddy. Well, guess what? We wear clothes to get muddy in, y'all. We wear waterproof shoes to get muddy. That's what we do. And now, of course, waterproof shoes are no good when you're knee deep and you're going to have soggy ride home, but who cares? That's what we're here to do. This is part of the game. This is part of what it's about. And we get there and, and, it, and it continued. This is one of the things that continued through the whole rescue was the communication and the communication was great. And sometimes communication can be terrible and it really hinders things and makes life hard. In this case, it was great though. We had serious um, obstacles and communications like our radios going straight to where they needed to go. Couldn't happen because of the terrain. We had people that did have radios. We had the cell phones, like I already said. So there was constant immediate communication. All I had to do was yell out, I need to know this. And within 15 seconds, someone was yelling back at me. Here is your answer. All I had to say was, can we do this? And someone would be back with yes or no. What's the situation on this? Someone had the answer. Like Jay Bake, one of the guys that used to be on our team, he was doing a great job of relaying while we were getting her to the boat. Because back incident command, we've still got an ambulance waiting somewhere. We have to, we're going to get him on the boat, right? But we got to get him from the boat to somewhere. Right. So that somewhere it has got to be the easiest way to get her back off of the boat. We have a boat ramp and we have a marina. A marina has got like floating pontoon. You know, you've seen them before, especially if you guys are lake bums. You can just slide the boat right up in there, moor it off and just walk straight out of it. Boat ramp. You got to like come up in there and you're going to hit up on the concrete and like you're going to have to transition like where you're back in the water again. So incident commands like, where are you guys meeting this? They're hollering at me. Jay Bakes hollering at me from in the back. And he's like, are we going to the boat ramp or the marina? And so I just hollered back at him. And at this point, we're in the water. At this point, the gate is open on the pontoon. At this point, we are unhooking the big wheel so that we can slide the stokes. And I mean, I'm talking like it was level. Just like, it's almost like it was drawn up that way. Slide it right into the pontoon. 
And so I just hollered back. Like, it says this is how smooth it went. He's like, marina or boat ramp. And I just hollered back, what's their preference? Because they're the ones that we got to get this to. They're the ones with the ambulance. Where are they at? And what do they want? And it was like five seconds. And he was like, marina. And I'm like, then marina it is. Let's go. And so that's what we did. We slid her on. And this was one of the final things that worked out really good. There was a, it was such that the capacity of the pontoon, the human capacity, the weight capacity, the, the max, maximum occupancy worked out such that we could get our patient on and her hiking friend. And then the rest of us who didn't come on those UTVs or ATVs could actually get on the pontoon with them. And the UTVs and the ATVs could go out. And it was like, holy crap, we get another boat ride across the lake. We don't have to hike back out of here the way we came in. It worked out great. Now, we were definitely at capacity. And that boat had to scootle pretty slow. We had to be careful. We had to distribute weight evenly. Everyone had to move around a few times to make sure we had evenly distributed weight. But we had that woman on that boat, packaged, I mean, just as pretty as you please, like, thanks to Lonnie, who's good at what he does and whoever helped him package, I can't give them credit. Cause I don't know. We were doing the other thing of figuring out, can we take the boat? Right. But they did it and they did it. Awesome. Again, different people doing their jobs the way they're supposed to do their jobs. It, it was, it was great. It was great. My opinion, it was great, but we scoot across the lake. And so we're just cruising across the lake. Y'all the stars are out. There's no moon and you can see dang near up there on the lake so dark sky, you can almost see the Milky Way with the naked eye. You can see that haziness that is where the Milky Way is. I saw a shooting star that lasted about six seconds, a big one, just streak right across the center of the sky. Everyone's trying to keep her spirits up. Her spirits were actually pretty high at this point. She was happy to be getting out. Um, I think, you know, she had got some ibuprofen that was kicking in. That ankle was, I think it was definitely broken personally because I have dislocated my ankle a few times. We guys, you, we've talked about how my ankles and my knees are. Um, and they will literally dislocate and pop back in. And it's not uncommon for that to happen. And it hurts real bad. And I'll like yell and my body will burn for three or four minutes. But then I can walk on it again. It's weird, but it happens. She, this was not happening for her. I feel pretty confident something was legit broken. It was definitely damaged because she couldn't handle even them really touching it and moving it. That's a pretty good sign. You know, sometimes there's pain and then there's that pain that feels deeper than that. I feel like that's what she was going through. But they got her pa packaged up good. And I think that ibuprofen was starting to hit a little bit. And she was in pretty good spirits. And we were all just making our way across and trying to tell jokes, you know. Not clean jokes, you know mixed company, but you try to keep spirits up. And it was a really nice ride back across the lake in the middle of the night, in the dead of night. And it's the second time I've got to do it. Literally the only time times I've ever been in a boat on that lake, we're on a search mission and riding across like at midnight or something. And it wasn't midnight. It was a little bit earlier than midnight. But anyway, run it. I'm going to tell you how this went. I just, everything I just explained unfolded starting it. What did I say? 1944. So that's when I was on scene at 7.44, starting from call out around 7.06-ish. But just from the point that we got to the trailhead, which is one of those things, we're excluding all the other time because that's like necessary time. You can only drive somewhere as fast as you can drive somewhere, right? Like you can only get there as fast as you can get there safely and legally. It's not like we have like special permits to break the law and do 95 somewhere, you know? We're not county sheriffs. <laughs> that's sort of a jab. But anyway... Um, we 
from the time that we entered the trail at 2028 until we got back all the way to our cars was literally a grand total of two hours, 10 minutes, and 38 seconds. Literally, the time we started in to the point we were done with everything and back in our vehicles to go on was two hours, 10 minutes, and 38 seconds. I know that because I use my All Trails app to actually record the action as it, as it happens, right? Y'all, that's hella good. I, f- I feel like, get there, set up the rig, head in on the trail, get to the person, package the person, stabilize the person, get her out of there and on a bus, on the way to a hospital, And back to your own cars in two hours, 10 minutes and 38 seconds, like when you're three kilometers in a rough hiking trail, like a, you know, a backcountry hiking trail. I just really feel like it went really, really well. I was really happy with everyone. I was happy with everyone. I was just happy. Like, I've always been proud of my team and it's not my team. Like, I'm just another guy like anyone. Don't take any of this to sound like I just happened to be the guy that had to do the thing that night. But like, we're all peers. We all can do the same things. And I'm like always proud of these guys, all of us, because everyone takes it seriously and everyone knows what they do and they train and they care. And it went off the way it's supposed to. And it's like just awesome when you actually get to watch something every once in a while, go off like it's supposed to. And this was one of those occasions. There are a lot of factors that affected that. Number one, knowing exactly where they were, exactly what the problem was. There were a lot of factors that made it go super smooth. But in the end, the biggest factor was teamwork. What do they say? Teamwork makes the dream work. It really does. And everyone just did killer. Crawford County was awesome. Our team did great. District 3 was awesome. Like there was, again, no ego bumps. There was nothing going on. Everyone was just trying to do the job that they were supposed to do and be helpful wherever they could be helpful. And that's how it's supposed to go down. But anyway, we got them on the boat. We got them back to the marina. And the only other casualty of the night that I'm aware of was a very expensive radio that went to the bottom of the marina about 30 feet deep. But that happens. That happens. You lose things sometimes. And you're trying to move a patient in a Stokes basket off of a boat that's bobbing around tied off as it may be and not drop her and not lose your own footing and all that stuff to people on the dock waiting to take her in and take her up and put her on a freaking gurney and get her to the bus. A radio got knocked off of a thing, a backpack or a belt or something and went to the bottom of the marina. Stuff like that happens and it sucks, but it happens. It wasn't the patient that went to the bottom of the marina and that's a win any day of the week, right? Anytime you can keep from losing a patient to the bottom of the marina is a good day. It's like any landing you can walk away from, right? Anyway, y'all, we've ran over an hour. I didn't think I would get to a full hour and we've ran over an hour. So I really need to wrap this up because I got to edit this all tonight. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's show. Like I know that you guys always seem to really enjoy these kind of like little peaks behind the scenes and, and again, things that you can learn from this. You guys heard a lot that you can learn from tonight. Just how those two ladies handled themselves, put up a tent, kept her warm, bundled her up. Like they did everything right. Everyone involved in this did a really good job of everything. And you know, it was a, it was a victory. And in this life, there are very few victories I've found. So we need to revel in the ones that we get for a minute. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure and get in touch. 
if you want to say hi, if you want to give me, again, submit an itinerary, guys. If you want me to make a story about an awesome road trip you did, send me an itinerary and we'll work out the details and I'll make an episode. Um, Also, if any of you guys have creepy stories about anything that's ever happened to you out there in the wilderness that might be good to be on a show, say around Halloween, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks, If you've got any good stories or you've got a line on any good stories that are kind of super creepy and have to do with hiking and camping and out in the backcountry, send them my way. Again, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. It's kind of a late call. I doubt we get enough that I'll be able to make an episode out of it, but please don't hesitate. If you've got something good, send it my way and I can, I can work it into an episode one way or another. Um, Other than that, you guys, please rate, review, and subscribe. Please share this anywhere that you share um, with your friends and your Facebook groups or even word of mouth. Word of mouth is the biggest thing Um, that really, really when someone says to you, hey, I love this, they're way more likely to check it out. So if you guys will continue to share this stuff, if you'll rate, review and subscribe, I'll be eternally grateful and I will belabor these points no more. Other than I forgot the website, waywardstories.com. Other than that, we're done here. We're going to move on and I'll catch you guys in a couple of weeks. I hope that you guys um, will get out there, find something to get yourself into, maybe join a search and rescue team. And until we meet again, you guys remember to be good to each other. 